Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me, once again, is 3MA founder and Evolve PR man, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome back to the show. Always happy to come back home. We also have a special guest with us tonight, Ars Technica Games Editor, Ben Kachera. Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So tonight we're going to be discussing game reviewers, uh, our process, and what we consider to be our obligations when reviewing a game. Ben, now you actually brought this topic to mind a couple weeks ago when you filed your review of Alice Madness Returns. Would you explain how you handled that one and the questions it raised? Sure. I mean, um, basically I was just, I was reviewing the game and I realized really quickly that the pacing was just absolutely terrible on it. It was just this utter grind and it became this soulless thing for me to continue to play it. And I put it on the back burner through E3 and I came back from my E3 trip, and I realized that the review code was still on my desk, like this dead weight, and I was just dreading going back to it. And I had already played the majority of the game, and it's, I realized that if I wasn't being paid to play this and review it, I would have put it away a long time ago. So I just decided, screw it. I'm sticking a fork in it, I'm giving my thoughts, and I'm going to tell all the readers why I quit playing. It just got to the point where even if there was something amazing in the final act, I just didn't think it was worth it for me to grind through and play it. And that's something I talked about on Twitter extensively to get people's thoughts. I disclosed it in the review. I gave people an idea about where I stopped. And I just said, hey, this is why I handled it this way. And I really just want to move on to something that I can muster some level of enthusiasm for. Uh, Do you generally always complete games? I think you should, yeah. Um, That's something I'm starting to revisit. Um, After the Duke Nukem Forever review, which in some ways I feel like just broke my soul. Because it's just like, that was another game where I just felt like, you know, my wife tells me that I become harder to live with when I'm playing a game I absolutely despise. Because it's the only time I feel like I'm dragging myself into work when I have to play this garbage thing that isn't fun. And I don't think Alice is garbage, it just really ground to a halt in terms of pacing so yeah the majority of the time you know i do play games that i review to completion and when i don't i tend to call it like you know an impressions piece or i'm very upfront with saying where i quit yeah so you were very open about how you were handling the alice review uh both in the article and on twitter uh what kind of responses did you get how did how did readers react how did your fellow critics react what was kind of the verdict on whether calling it a day at the, you know, if I were playing this as a civilian, I would totally pull the pin and bail. You know, I think 95% of the responses I got were positive from readers who they said, you know, the, the point is, if I, as someone who plays games for fun, and I never want to lose track of, you know, we're reviewing products that are supposed to be fun. If it ceases being fun enough for me to wish to walk away from it that strongly, I think they take that as something that is critically very important. I don't think at that point they really need to know what happens in the last five minutes to make up their mind when it comes to purchasing. I think a lot of um, reviewers and critics were probably watching the reaction to that very closely because I absolutely refuse to believe that I'm the last person or I'm the only person who feels sometimes like I'm really dragging my way through the last you know two to four hours of a game just to check off that box to say I finished it before I said what I would have said probably anyway. I think if you if it begins to feel like work to the extent that you're actively dreading to play it, there's very little that's going to be redeemed by continuing to play it at that point. 
Well, and and I think it's it's worth asking, you know, whether that in itself might also have a distorting effect on your review. Because, you know, it, it might not be a that bad a game. It's just not your bag. But if it turns into, you know, this this absolute death march as you try to reach that point where you can be done with it, you know, that that experience is going to be from is going to move from unpleasant to absolutely wretched. And then how you know, then that's a different that's something else you got to tease apart from your reaction. Like, was it that bad or was it just that I wasn't allowed to quit at a reasonable point? Yeah, and it's the whole question of whether a game is, you know, as you say, your bag or not is something I, I kind of, I don't say I struggle with it. I think I have a different perspective on it. I probably write about 90% of the gaming content for Ars Technica. And I love that because it forces me to be kind of, you know, a polymath when it comes to games. There's not a genre that I turn down. I love all games and I think I can find something interesting to talk about in most games. And I've been doing this you know, for seven years, full-time for about five years. I think the people who've been reading me that long trust me to give every game a fair shake and not turn my nose up at some genres. So I think this is something that would have been a lot harder to do were I a rookie reporter or someone new to the site. But when you have kind of that level of trust from your readers and a really kind of long professional life to look back on. And you can say, this is why I made the call. This is why I think it's the right call. And ultimately, you know, it's a zero sum game. This is going to let me get to another good game that I can tell you about and hype much quicker. And that's better for everyone. That's something I wanted to get to as well. The, the difference in outlet now, um, you know, the Ars Technica games blog, uh, Posable Thumbs, you know that's that's very much sort of your your corner of Ars Technica, and you know it's kind of to a, to a large degree it's kind of limited in to what you can you can deal with. So uh, you know for for you to take time out to review a game, that's that that is time you're taking away from other games you could be discussing on on Ars. Does the does the equation change a bit if you're reviewing more for like you know an outlet like PC Gamer where they are you know farming assignments out to freelancers and staffers to cover the game in detail to do, you know, that you are dedicated to this review for this week or this month. Um, and other people will be making sure the rest of the, you know, the rest of the uh, magazine is getting filled up. Does that, does that change sort of the reviewer's obligations uh, to the reader and uh, to the game? I'm not sure what changed the obligation. I mean, I've been in the position, in, you know, to both pitch reviews to editors for uh, magazines. Look, this is a game we should cover, and so you want to cover it, you write about it, and that's kind of what Ben does. You know, he's, this is a game I want to write about, so he writes about it. He doesn't write about War in the East because they want to write War in the East. He wants to write about something else that his audience is interested in. Uh, but yeah, and PC Gamer and CGM and Crispy Gamer and all the places I've written for you, I've also been assigned uh, reviews. But I don't see how that changes my obligation to approach a review any differently. Yes, the game that I pitch is almost certainly going to be something I'm interested in. It's going to be something I'm going to advocate. It's going to be something that I already am predisposed to like, or I, have something to, I, have, I know I have something to say about it. That makes the review easier to write in many ways. But I don't think it changes my obligation of how, do I, how I approach the review, of um, what I want to tell the readers, what I want to tell my colleagues, or how I write it. It's just I'm already walking in with an idea of why this game is worth writing about. And I think that's really the only difference. It's not when you're pitching a game, you're not coming at it, you know, with a complete blank slate like I might be 
if, you know, uh, Steve Ballman threw me yet another uh, Steve Tiller game, which he did repeatedly. Uh, sorry, John Tiller game. So this is about, this is squad battles in Japan. Well, I don't know about squad battles in Japan. Very little. Uh, but, you know, it's one thing you have to learn and pick up along the way. But if it was something that I'd pitched, something that I'd sold, something I said, this is something we need to cover. Can you give me 300 words? Can you give me 500 words? This is something our readers should know about. I don't see how that changes my review process. It just changes what I'm likely to say and why I'm pushing it. I'm sure there are tons of games I don't advocate for that I don't pitch reviews for that maybe could use the coverage, but, you know, they're kind of crap. I don't know. It sort of seems like if, I, if I'm a reader of ours, I am curious. I, I want to find out what, what Ben thinks of a game. If I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm wondering if there's an expectation, uh, you know, different, you know, the reviewer has a different relationship with the reader, with the outlet, you know, at a place like ours, as opposed to, you know, say, you know, a games magazine or, you know, a reviews website, right. sure. uh, you know, ours is about more than that. So it, you know, one thing, one thing I saw in the comments on the Madness Returns uh, review is a lot of, you know, a lot of your readers were just really curious what you thought of the game. And they weren't necessarily, you know, that, that hung up on, you know, well, how, mu- you know, how much did you play, Ben? You know, did you, did you finish the game? What did you think of the whole work? They wanted your impressions uh, because, you know, they know you as a gamer and a writer and they wanted to hear, you know, whatever you had to say whenever you reached a point where you felt you were ready to deliver some kind of verdict. Right. And and that's something you get, you know, it's, I've kind of always been with Ars Technica. It's my first, you know, professional writing gig. And like I said before, I've been doing it for a number of years. And one of the absolute pluses to that is you do build a very close relationship with a readership over the long term. So I think I've kind of been granted via that trust a little bit more latitude in how I deal with re- with reviews and games and, and how I approach this sort of thing. And I think that's something that anyone can build up. It's just, it, it takes writing for an outlet for a number of years. And I do a lot of um, direct outreach to readers. I'm very reactive on Twitter. I try to do form spring once a week to, you know, answer people's questions. And I think once it's a, it's a two race street and you make it a little bit more of a conversation Again, you don't have to do the checklist, and you can do some more freeform thing in right. terms of game criticism. And that's something I'm very lucky, and I feel very blessed to be able to do. But you so, have that, Rob, don't you? I mean, you've built up an audience, haven't you? I mean, I've built up an audience, but you're never sure, really, who's reading you. I mean, it's the people in the right. comments on your articles. It's all it's always confusing. You know, I feel like I, I have an audience. I have a group. I have people who, you know, are out there to read what I write, uh, just, you know, wherever it may be, uh, which is great. And, I, you know, I treasure those readers. But I don't, you know, I don't delude myself. Like, there are people who read The Escapist. And when I'm in The Escapist, you know, they're going to read what I've put up there. But they're not my readers. Uh, right. So, so I, that's, that's where I kind of feel like the standard shifts a little bit. Like, I don't have that where I sit down and write for an outlet. And I know my readers and I share the same expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't necessarily have that relationship, and I can't presume too much upon it. So then it's it's more about you know trying to bring myself into line with the outlet, but then also uh, you know be true to myself as a writer. So I think you know that's that's the challenge, and that that requires me, I think, to adapt myself a little more than perhaps you know Ben does when, when he's writing for ours. But I mean, uh, let's let me turn the question around on you, Troy. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. did I mean you also have 
you know, a big readership. Um, and you worked for a lot of places. So did you, did you feel that, did you feel that relationship when you were writing in places like CGM and crispy gamer? Uh, or did you also feel a bit like a hired gun? Oh, always as a freelancer, you're always a hired gun and I'm always brought in to, you know, play the games no one else will play. Cause that's what I do. Um, but no, I mean, I, I built up an audience, but it didn't come through that. It came through, through the blog where it's a, a single dedicated voice. Um, which helps a lot. It's kind of like what Ben does. I'm the only, I mean, I, I am Flash of Steel. It's like Ben is games at Ars Technica. And that's where my audience came from. And people would go to the blog and then, oh, he's the guy in CGM. He's the guy who does this. And I'd link to it. And that's where the audience came from. And now the podcast, of course, was even bigger um, for his audience. But that does change your obligation. It does change how you write and what you write about. But it doesn't change, I think, how you review games. Um, I've always written more critically. I've never been one of these uh, by the uh, checklist type reviewers. I've always found that boring. And Steve Bauman at CGM never encouraged that in his writers, um, in his freelancers. He always encouraged people to, you know, push and say things about what the game actually means and what it's about instead of, you know, is visually stunning uh, checklist type reviews, which is, you know, boring and uninteresting. Um, does having an audience that is you know is reading you help? I mean, I do Formspring a lot, and people ask me questions. I look at my uh, Google Analytics, and I know people are looking for stuff that I'm saying, but stuff I didn't say anything about. Apparently, I need to review a whole bunch of games. People wonder if I reviewed or not. Does having an audience matter? Of course it does. Does it change how I approach my job? It means I take it more seriously. People do. I mean, it's a small audience. I mean, it's, I'm not getting, uh, you know, 10,000 hits a day. I'm not going to suggest I'm, you know, one of the great freelancers of all time. Um, but I have an audience, and it means I take my job, I took my job very seriously because people would be reading it. It meant I couldn't slough off on a review because I have an audience that I care about, that they've come to respect me, and therefore I have to respect them. Um, and I think that changes how you do a review. That changes how much effort you put into it, not how much you want to say about it. Um, your readers will... If they're good readers and they interact with you through Twitter, through Formspring, through emails, so I get tons of tons of email uh, from readers, or I used to. Now I get you know a few a week um, through comments on the blog. If they interact with you, then you know they can become springboards for ideas. They can help you get the, the brain going in interesting ways. Um, so I mean, readers and knowing you have readers who are following you because of what you say is an important part of the creative process. I don't think we can, you know, necessarily just think that we're writing for a general audience because once you have readers who like, I like Ben, I like Rob, I like Tom Chick, I like Mitch Dyer, I mean, whomever, um, then, you know, they have to take that kind of seriously. There's an obligation. Um, that's how I'm always scared, you know. When the podcast became, I started people listening to the podcast, I was kind of started freaking out. Because we could actually do this thing every week and not suck. And we sucked quite a bit. Uh, you know, at least, you know, once every two months, we'd have a really crappy show. And that always hurt me, um, especially if we were doing it on a game um, that we re reviewed. And I felt that I hadn't played it enough uh, because of one thing or another. And I always felt kind of bad having a podcast about a game I hadn't played a lot about. Let's get into that a little bit because, yeah. you know, you use the word obligation several times there, and that was something I wanted to hit. So so when we sit down to review a game, we, when we take an assignment, you know, what what do you feel your obligations are when, when you when you start, start the review process? What 
What do you always try to live up to when you're doing it? I mean, it really does depend on the game in so many ways. I mean, I eat almost always strategy and war game reviews, a few RPGs here and there. But by and large, I'm a strategy guy. Uh, so my obligation was to, you know, play through some campaigns, always play the tutorial. That's one of my rules. I always play the tutorial, no matter what. Even if I already know the game's mechanics inside out, even if I know the genre, I know the developer, if, you know, I wrote the manual, has been to my wedding, whatever. You know, I always do the tutorial because strategy games live and die by how easily they can teach you the mechanics. So that's an obligation I have. Even if I don't mention it in the review, I always play it. So I have to know how people are approaching this, what information is being given to them. Um, so, I mean, I played, you know, the Civ Four tutorial. Even though I knew Civilization, I've played them all. But I always play a tutorial. That's one rule I have. I always have when I played a, did, did a review. Um, I think it's a, it's a good rule to have. Um, I always played... Uh, the largest campaign there was. Didn't always finish the largest campaign there was, but I just to check pacing, especially in, in, in war games. You know, how long does this take? Um, you can't always finish them, especially in the tailored games, but it's important to, to try them to see how the mechanics sort out. Uh, it's, I always play, you know, both sides. If there's, there are two sides, you always play both. If there are 15 sides, like in Civilization, well, you can't play all 15 before the review. There are always going to be questions about balance you will miss. Um, so I strategy games are so, so hard to review because things like balance and AI and faction differences, a lot of this stuff does not come out or become apparent till one month, two months later after thousands and thousands of plays and people have tested. So, I mean, what's my obligation? What do I have to do? I just have to explain it. Explain it and explain why it's different. Explain why it's special or why it's not. Ben? Gosh, that's a huge question. Here's my thing. Um, I don't really have like a codified way to um, go into a game review. And a lot of right. the times when I put a game, when I put a game in, I don't know if I'm going to do a review. Um, like, I don't know if I'm going to do, if I'm going to play two hours and write impressions. I don't know if I'm going to finish it and, and do a big review. I don't know if it's something that I find so uninteresting. I'm not going to write about it at all. So I basically just kind of let the game... This is this is going to sound horribly cheesy, but I kind of let the game talk to me for a while before planning what kind of coverage I want to do. And then the more I play it, the more I kind of get an idea of what angle I'm going to take or what thing I want to say about it. Um, so I don't I don't really think I, I have a set way to approach games. I think I like to go in w without much in the way of expectations. I mean, um, right. Um, Gosh, my favorite thing is to get code that I know nothing about, that I haven't seen at E3, that I haven't played at GDC, and that I can just put in my system. This happened with Shadows of the Damned, which is a game I really enjoyed. Um, that I can just put it in the system and try it and play it and completely experience it with a set of fresh eyes and then talk about what it made me feel and what it did successfully and how it failed. I mean, that's ideally for me how I would play a game. Yeah, you, I mean, Rob. I mean... Yeah, I mean you know, for me, I mean, it it, it does it does sort of it, it does change from from game to game, but there's I mean, there's a couple things that there's a couple things I always I, I always try to keep in mind at least. You know, one is I'm I'm always on the lookout for landmines uh, because I, I've definitely been on that situation on the consumer side where you know I read a lot of positive reviews or I'm getting you know friends on forums are saying oh this game is brilliant makes a great first impression and. You know, you get into it, 
and then you discover that there's something really major and really wrong, you know, lurking under the surface. And once, you know, once you've seen it, it's going to, it's going to blow the entire experience apart for you. And that's, I mean, you know, my, that's one thing I sort of take with me in every review is I try to stay on the lookout for that, that one thing that will maybe, you know, you'll miss it the first, you know, a couple times you play the game, the first, you know, maybe, maybe it'll take hours to find it. But I always, I always want to see if there's something that just rings a little false. And that, you know, I want to, I want to find out if maybe there's something broken underneath there. And maybe everybody does that, but it's just, it's, it's something that I remember, you know, how crappy that experience feels when, you know, it's a game you bought and it's something you had high hopes for. And you realize that there's this something really wrong that nobody told you about. And boy, do you wish they would. You know, I kind of want to be the guy to say, ah, you, you know, this is this is all well and good, but here's here's one thing you should know. You know, that's you know that's something I definitely keep in mind. And you know, the other thing, and maybe I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have this on my mind as much as I do, but I don't know. I I've, I have a hard time escaping, you know, the the knowledge that almost any game I play represents a colossal amount of effort and investment on the part of developers. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, you all have the experience. You, you, we all talk to developers a lot. We all, you know, interview them a lot. We, we hang out with them. You know, some of our friends are developers. And so the, the more you hear about it, I don't ever want to be flip about, about the review process. You know, I mean, the, you know, there, there are very few games that I think deserve that. And I, and I just, I, I want to give, you know, I, w- I want to give that effort its due, even if the game isn't worth it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, huh. you, you hear about that a lot where people are like, you know, oh, you were much edgier and you were more willing to say things when you were just starting out. And it's like, well, you know, I, I, I've, the guy that created this game, I've met his wife. You know, it's like I've seen where the guy who does the art for this game sleeps underneath his desk. It's like I know the crushing financial pressure that the studio was, you know, under. Having said that, um, I think knowing the how the business works does make you temper your criticism a little bit. But that always has to be offset with not only do you have to understand and respect how much work it take took to make the game, but you have to respect how much work it takes for your average reader to make sixty dollars to buy the game. Yes. I mean, you know, I go drinking with the developers, but they're not my friends. You know, my friends are the ones who are reading my reviews and taking what I say very seriously. At the end of the day, those are the people I write for. And, you know, the guy who wrote the game, he's hopefully already been paid. The person who might pay the game has $60 on the line when he reads a piece of criticism. And even if they, even if a reader disagrees with what you say and they decide to buy a game you didn't like, or to avoid a game you liked. The thing I always hope for is I gave them more information to color their buying decision. If I say, oh, I really didn't like this because X was done and I prefer Y. If they go, well, you know, I really prefer X. If they got that out of it, I, I still did my job. Whenever anyone argues about a verdict I give a game, I tell them, then don't think about the verdict. It's literally the least important thing there is in the review. If you learned yeah. something that made you more or less willing to buy it. Like I'm good. I feel really happy with that. Even if you violently disagree with what I said. So one thing that came up in the discussion, uh, following your, your Alice review. And I, and I saw you retweet this. Somebody, somebody had written that they expect their, 
uh, film and book reviewers to have finished watching the movie or the book uh, that they're reviewing uh, or reading the book that they're reviewing. And is it too much to ask uh, game reviewers to do the same? And it does seem like for a lot of people, the, you know, you know, finish the game, damn it. You know, that's, that's kind of the gold standard. This is, this is what reviewers, reviewers have to do. And I wanted to get into, you know, on the one hand, those, those um, cross media comparisons, you know, people reviewing, re- reviewing other creative works and in, in other media, but I'm also really interested in, you know, whenever someone is saying, well, you have to finish the game. That strikes me as really narrow. You know, when you're when you're talking about like a single player narrative experience, okay, yeah, I mean, finishing the game that seems that seems like a reasonable request. Um, I'm not sure it's really that useful, but it's at least you know I easily I, I can quickly understand what you mean by that. But I think a lot of us, you know, we you know, I mean, those of us here, we spend a lot of times working on games that don't lend themselves to that kind of easy definition, you know, yes, I finished it, no, I have not. A lot of the stuff we spend our time on, you know, when you're done with a game is is much is, is a much murkier question. A lot of these games are kind of designed to sort of be endless. Uh, so that's the other thing I wanted to get into is, you know, how do you be how do you begin defining completion for games that are that are very open ended? Well, I mean, that's especially a problem for strategy games, of course, because, I mean, I'm, I'm not finished Civ yet. I haven't won with all the civilizations yet, so of course I'm not finished it. Um, an MMO, I mean, when do you finish an MMO? Does that mean you can never review an MMO because you're never going to finish it? Do you have to have, have all everything maxed out and have all the epic mounts? Um, you know, some genres lend themselves to being finished and some don't. Bad games you really don't have to finish because they're not going to get magically better in the last third. Uh, but a, a good game, uh, you really got to finish that because it could fall apart in the last third. So the games you're most likely to want to finish, you probably should. Um, and you can't, even if you're playing a bad game, you finish it, you can't spoil the ending uh, for the people you're reviewing for anyway. Like you can tell them, well, Duke Nukem's, you know, Bruce Willis's father at the end, or whatever uh, the big twist is in Duke Nukem. He gets a sex change or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which would be which would be awesome. That would be a great twist. I should make games. Um, so I'm, I've never been one of the people who is a, a, who likes the hard and fast rules. You have to finish because, like I said, you, some things you can't finish. Uh, some things you'll never finish, and there are time constraints. And I know that if you have if you're your own editor and you make all the choices and you set your own deadlines, then you know it's really easy to say, okay, I'm not going to review this. I feel like I'm ready to review it, but time pressures are really a big problem in the review income community. That you have to rush through a game in you know, a week, and you have to finish it. And the expectation is that you finish it uh, in a week, in three days, in however long it takes. And if you're rushing through a game, if you're hardcore Iron Manning it, you're going to miss some stuff. You're going to just be playing it, you're going to either miss some of the art, you're going to miss how the voiceovers work, you're going to miss some clipping... You're not going to enjoy the experience. I can't look around. It's an open world game, and you're just rushing through the plot. You're missing a whole lot of stuff around you. Um, I think you know that's the sort of thing that can hurt a game like, say, Mirror's Edge. If you're just rushing through, oh, the combat mechanics suck. This is a terrible, terrible game. Yeah, maybe it is a terrible game, and the combat mechanics do suck. But it also is really a thrilling experience. And if you just focus on all the things that get in your way as you try to get to your goal, you miss all the other stuff around the game and prevent yourself from writing about that. So focusing on completion at the expense of the experience and understanding it, added to time pressures, uh, I think has in many ways made reviewers 
problematic and not very useful to readers. Right, Ben? You know, I think my my favorite story when on this topic is um, I was sent a copy of DC Universe Online. And I, I played it for like two weeks. You know, I, I gave it a few hours each night. And I finally quit. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm kind of done with this game. You know, I would I find it. I found the quests really re- repetitive. I had some issues with the combat and a few other things. And I was like, well, you know, I had fun with it, but um, I, I didn't end up reviewing it because some other things came along. And then I went back to it and I clicked on how many hours I was I had played it. And I was shocked to find out that I'd played it like 25 or 30 hours. And it just struck me that even though I was ready to quit, I, I pretty much enjoyed my 25 to 30 hours. And if there was a single player game that I had played for 25 and or right. 30 hours, and I had gotten that much fun out of, I would be over the moon. But for an right. MMO, I was like, well, I'm done for the month. And I hadn't paid for that month. You get the first month free with the game. So the amount of enjoyment I would have gotten out of that as a $50 purchase is would be huge. It's, it's a great deal when you look at it that way, if you, even if you don't pay for it month by month. Right. It's just the expectation is so different for an MMO. And that's what really opened my eyes to the idea of like the amount of hours you play a game as just being an absolutely ridiculous value judgment and how little that, you know, ties into criticism. I always try to tell people how long a game is, but I don't want to assign a value to it. Um, I beat Children of Eden. I saw all the levels in that in like, what, three hours, three and a half hours. I've probably played it for more than 15 since then. And when I gave it a buy rating, I said, I'm not going to be the person who judges a painting by how much wall it takes up. Right. You know, if you have $50 and you go, I don't want something I can see everything out of in three and a half hours. Well, then great. I've given you the information you need to make that value judgment, but I don't want to assign the value to it myself. So, and that's, you know, and when it came to DC Universe Online, there's really, there is no kind of end to that. It just gets to a point where I feel like you're going to get to a stage where you feel comfortable talking about it. And as long as you know that you can do it authoritatively and you have something interesting to say about it, I I think that's going to come through. And I think whether or not you quote unquote finished it or completed it is very unimportant in that conversation. Yeah, I mean, on my part, I I kind of feel like, I mean... I guess it's my turn to sound corny, but you know, a lot of times I feel like what I'm what I'm searching for is a sense that you know I'm searching for a sense of understanding. You know, that's what I what I'm really out for is to is to reach that point where where I really get what a game is up to, and you know, now I'm reacting now now I'm reacting to you know how it really works and what it, what it's trying to accomplish. Um, as you know, as opposed to as opposed to being perhaps a, a little more knee jerk, and and you know, so that, so that's I mean that goes back to I guess you know what you were saying, Troy is you know one of your objectives is you know always was to explain to people you know what's different about this game, you know what you know what's it up to. That's you know that's that's kind of what I'm doing in a lot of the games I review. You know, a lot of strategy games. You know what? Yeah, you're never going to be finished with it, but what a lot of people who play strategy games, you know, want is, you know, how does the game work? You know, what, what, you know, what sort of statement is it making about, you know, historical period? Um, you know, how does, how, how, how good a job, how does it model uh, a certain era? So that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying, you know, those are the questions I'm trying to answer, you know, when I, when I sit down to, you know, historical strategy games, you know, it's, it's totally different when it comes to a, you know, say a, you know, a hardcore racing game, 
you know, we're against standard shift. And now, now I'm trying to understand, you know, now I'm trying to understand how the game is approaching other challenges. You know, I, I know, you know, I would, I would lose my mind if I was saying, well, I've got to, you know, I've got to suck all the marrow out of this game. I've got to see every single thing that it can offer. Um, that's, you know, that's an absurd standard. You know, the best you can do is reach that point where you're like, you know, my opinion is, you know, my opinion is very well informed and it's also pretty hardened at this point. You know, it's, it's unlikely to change with a few more hours to go back to the, uh, you know, comparisons to reviewers and other media. I'd be interested to hear from you guys how, you know, why, why those comparisons are flawed or in what ways they work. Well, no movie is 60 hours long for one thing (laughs) and hardly 20 and very few books. Uh, Will uh, I mean? I, and, but book reviewers are accused, you know, of not reading the entire book. You'll see this a lot. I mean, well, book reviewers do they always finish the book? They say they do, but you'll have um, author read the New York Times book review. You'll have authors writing in saying, "This person said they read my review, but they said this, but you know, they said they read the book, but this criticism makes no sense if they read this other chapter." Blah blah blah. Uh, so these criticisms are not just in games media. I mean, there's, it's constant in every media where there's something, where something takes a lot of time. And reading books does take time. Well, also, if I can just interject one thing here, I mean, you, you hear a lot of times, too, people want an objective review, right? And then they say, you know, and, and then perhaps in the same breath, they'll say, well, you should also be like a book reviewer where you've got to, you've got to finish the book. <laughs> and again, yeah. look at, like, look at, look, look at book criticism. A lot of times you have, like, obvious conflicts of interest between who is reviewing mm-hmm. the book and whose book it is. I mean, like, you know, go into, you know, any sort of academic press, you know, review. Uh, but even, you know, mainstream history, you will have people arguing with each other, you know, within a book review. And that's, and that's why it exists. It's not, it's not objective in the least. In fact, it's, you know, it's the antagonistic book review. It's very familiar. And people would scream bloody murder if a games journalist did that. Well, I tell people straight off, I, I said in the comments, if you promise to never, ever write an objective review on this site. Like, I will solemnly put my hand on a Bible and say there will never be an objective review. Just those two words together make my skin crawl. Like there's some Like, there's some right idea. The goal is to be fair, not objective. That's, that's exactly right. And it, it's not even just fair, but internally consistent. Yeah. Um, there was someone really attacking me over a review, and I spent literally pages refuting a lot of these points. And someone emailed me going, well, you know, this guy, you're never going to convince him. And I said, but the thing is, there's going to be hundreds of people reading these comments who are going to be reassured by the fact that I'm willing to stand up for my beliefs and I can do so intelligently. And once you're in a point where even if someone is throwing vitriol at you, if you're willing to look at what they're saying and say, well, this is why I think that these are some more examples from the game and you kind of engage on that level, people, you know, respond very well because obviously you are taking this seriously and you can back up everything you saw. It's like um, I took my wife to see Super 8 um, last night, and I, we paid $8 a ticket, so it's a $16 movie, lasted under two hours. And it was, you know, it was decent. It wasn't anything I'll be thinking about in a month, but I, I walked out feeling pretty good about the time I spent in the movie theater. And I stopped to think that if I had spent, or if other people had spent $15 for a game that was over in two hours, they would scream bloody murder. It's like, where where does that value kind of break down the break down there like 
can you not do a really, really engaging two-hour game for $15? Like, where is the disconnect when it comes to different media there? I don't know when the when the two-hour movie, you know, became became codified, but that's, I mean, that's about where we're at with, you know, with, with mainstream films now. You know, it's got to it's mm-hmm. come in around the two-hour mark, and that's, and that's a satisfying experience. 90 minutes, two hours. And and for some reason, you know, people weigh their weigh their game enjoyment differently, and I don't know. I mean, perhaps it perhaps that just goes back to how it was, you know, in in, in the early days. A lot of us remember these these huge wide open experiences where, you know, I mean, for me, you know, one of the first games that I was really conscious of it being a great game was like Privateer, and Privateer was, I mean, God, I I. I I shudder to think how much time time I put into that, but that's but the problem is you know that game is also shaping my expectations for years to come. You know, like so whenever another Privateer game, well, I think there's only uh, Privateer Two: The Darkening, but you know, I was like, well, I mean, it's going to be as big as Privateer. <coughs> you've got you've got Elder Scrolls fans who still define everything by Daggerfall. Um, you know, is you know, oh, you know, Morrowind isn't as big a world as Elder Scrolls Daggerfall was. Well, Bethesda's sold out. I mean, it's you know you you got these yeah. you got these long memories and these these treasured memories, and to to some extent, it's I, I feel like we're not we're not over them yet. You know, I mean, perhaps it, you know, a lot of things sort of get put down to gaming being a young medium, but I think this one definitely is. A lot of people had like formative game experiences in a very different you know in in a very different market than exists right now. And I think we've gotten to the point where game length in many ways is codified. When you when you pay $60 for an action game in one of the big franchises, you know you're getting eight hours of gameplay in single player. Yeah. That That's kind of the expectation. Ten hours is pretty good. Twelve is unbelievable. But a single player game right now is around eight hours. And everyone, you know, says, oh, gosh, how do we get to this point where a single player game is eight hours? And I'm like, I don't know. But where have you been for the past decade? You know, it's like that's what a single player game is. And, you know, I, I feel like people who comment on these stories are remembering games they played 15 years ago. And not only that, they're only remembering the good games they played 15 years yep. ago. Yep. You know, it's like there was just as much garbage then as there was now. And in 10 years, you know, 10 years from now, this is going to be the golden age. And we will only remember the good games we played and everything else will fail in comparison. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is an expectation of 8 to 10 hours for a single-player game, and then multiplayer gaming is, you know, its own thing. One thing, one thing I wanted to, to bring up as well, you know, perhaps, you know, this is more for me and Troy, uh, because we, we both have, you know, a fair bit of freelance experience. We can talk a great deal about, you know, uh, you know how much we have to put into a game, what we have to extract from it before we're, before we're able to evaluate it, but... Let's take a moment to talk about sort of the time constraints and money constraints you're up against uh, if, this uh, is, if this is your job. Yeah. Um, and a lot of us are paid by the assignment. So, so. you know, and a, a review assignment runs long and it's starting to hurt your, hurt your pocketbook. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, I mean, what, how, how, do, how, does, how does that dynamic uh, affect how you approach reviews? I never try to take on more work than I can actually handle. Um, that's a big problem with strategy games. They take up so much time. You don't want to rush through them, otherwise you'll miss something. But every one you're playing is time you can't give to something else. It's a review you can't do. 
It's a feature you can't complete because you have to finish this on time. Um, it's an interview you can't do. It's a blog post you can't do because you have to conquer Moscow one more time just to make sure it's not a bug and that Moscow can defend itself. All of these problems. Um, the, the money. I mean, the, the, cons- the cons- time constraints are there, but they're there for, I mean, not just freelancers. Um, they're there for people who are on staff because if you're assigned, if there are... If holiday season, I have no idea how these sites do it, where it's all staffers doing all the big games, and every big game comes out in over a six-week span. Um, that's a lot of writing, and it's very exhausting. It's a bit of a bit of a death march if all you're writing are reviews. So I always tried to not just write reviews because they can get it's mentally exhausting to just write reviews all the time. Um, so especially, but you know, all that other writing also takes time, and the, the money sucks. Um, I miss everything about freelance writing except the money. I miss it terribly every day. Uh, but I'm not, I, my job's great. I've got a great boss. I'm learning a lot of new things. Um, but the money, just you wonder if it's worth it uh, for so many freelancers. Um, it's very hard, and you hear freelancers not getting paid. Uh, when they do put in the work or paychecks being late. Here in Canada, we have a mail strike going on. So I, ha- I know there are freelancers who aren't getting their checks at all because the post office is on strike. Um, and that, which means they have to take on other jobs while they wait for those checks to come in. And that takes away from time they could be doing on this. I mean, the freelancing life is not fun. Every time somebody, you know, sends me a letter saying, I want to be a games journalist just like you when I grow up. And I want to reach to the computer and slap them because it is <laughs> not it is not an easy job. Uh, it's something I think many of us stumble into more than we aspire. I know I stumbled into it, and it's a story that a lot of my peers tell. Um, I think now we have a generation coming in that are actually aspiring to it and achieving it. But for the most part, it's something you just end up doing um, because someone likes your writing and you're competing with all these young kids who also want to do it. Another reason I got out, all the young kids are better than I am now. So, you know, you pass it on. They're better writers, they're smarter, and they're faster. So there's no reason for me to stick around uh, and keep doing it. Um, But as far as how it affects reviews, it affects it a lot because you begin to wonder, and I've had these panic attacks, you know, at least a couple of times a year. Maybe I should be doing something else. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. So, you know, I did do things. I did get an education degree. I did do uh, long-term substitute teaching. I did try to get a full-time teaching job. All these things that would have paid more uh, because, and that takes away from my reviewing as well, but just to earn a living wage as a freelancer, um, it's very hard. I was lucky. I had a very supporting wife at the time uh, who was, you know, willing to, you know, let me try this out and see how it worked. Um, and she was making, uh, she was a, she was a, the, the uh, breadwinner in the family. That financial stress, um, knowing that if you're long on a review, um, not only if you're really long on a review, first you're letting down your editor who may not use you, which in the future, which will affect future earnings. Not to mention the fact it will cut into other review time, and also prevent you from doing other writing you want to do. Uh, so there are so many reasons for people to rush reviews, um, real-life reasons to do it, um, to not do it right. And 
I'd like to say I always did it right. I know I didn't always do it right. I know I screwed up. I know there are views that I would, I would take back, things that I missed. Absolutely. Um, for one reason or another. Sometimes I just missed it, and sometimes I rushed them. Um, I'm, I think we have all done it, and I think we'd be lying if we said we, we didn't at least a couple of times in our career rush something through because it had to get done. Um, I never liked doing it, but it's a, it is an issue, and the freelancing life is not fun. It is Well, it is fun. I'm not going to I loved it. I wouldn't want to go back to it if I didn't love it. I, I loved the energy. I loved the pitching. I loved thinking of new ideas. I loved uh, playing new games. I loved that, that, that fire that I had to get up in the morning and try something new. Um, but I don't but, miss but, the, the stress. Yeah, it's it's a bipolar life, I would say. I mean, there's, it's there's a, bipolar, a lot of bipolar life. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of moments where I mean, you know, I mean, for me, it's you know, looking out the window and seeing the line of cars backed up trying to get onto the freeway at like four o'clock to you know seven <laughs> o'clock, and that's a moment where it's like, oh, thank God I'm not doing that. But then I'm like, ah, oh, they can probably, you know, they probably know exactly how they're going to pay their bills this week. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I guess it all it all evens out. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I've definitely. This is something that I only recently, you know, forced myself to go back and do. But I started like seriously, you know, looking at the hours I was putting into games as opposed to, you know, then writing about these games for review and trying to figure out what, <laughs> you know, how this was translating, you know, into an hourly rate. Um, oh, never do that. Never do that. No, don't do that. Rookie mistake. You will never, you find yourself hanging closet <laughs> if you do that. No, but see, that's the thing, though. You've, you've got to know this, though, if you're trying to, like, make, like, financial plans, like, figure out, you know, what can you expect to deliver, uh, you know, for this month. You've got, you've got to be aware of, you've got to be aware of sort of what your, what your career is able to produce. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a grim reality, but I think it's one you've got, you've got to come to terms with. And then I think that led me to start really trying to figure out where that balance point was between me fulfilling my obligations to, you know, earn money and, you know, help, uh, you know, with, you know, my girlfriend and and, uh, my own finances, you know, help their finances, uh, as opposed to doing the best damn possible job, you know, that that I could ever do, you know, on a review that, you know, there, there is a tension there and I think you're crazy to deny it. And I think readers are, you know, you know, if they do, they're crazy to expect that freelancers, you know, are going to do, are going to always do whatever it takes because ultimately, I mean, you have to balance the ideal against the fact that you still got to get paid. And yeah, I mean, cause, cause you know, when I first started doing reviews, I think, you know, I was putting in an ungodly amount of time into a lot of review assignments and it was becoming, you know, you know, I was taking a bath on it and then, you know, and then you start making the compromises. Well, here's, you know, here, you know, here's what I can do and here, you know, and here's what I should do for, for games of this sort. But eventually you've got, you know, you've got to be able to pull the plug. You know, you've got, you got to be able to know when you're going to cut it off. Yeah. And then of course, something always happens to make you go back and revisit it for the two hours. Three hours. You see something out of the corner of your eye as you're playing it and shutting it off. Wait a minute, did I just see what I think I saw? You try to replicate it, and you just keep at it and keep at it, and then you cry. Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's <laughs> definitely. But you know, if 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 a game's doing that though, it's probably decent enough that you know you're you're you know you're motivated to keep doing it. You know, if you're if you're into that level of minutia, chances are, you know, the game's doing something to deserve that kind of attention. There are a lot of games where you know, I hit 
you know, I hit the six hour mark and I see no signs of this improving and I'll give it maybe a couple more hours. But at that point, the clock is winding down. You know, we're, you know, we're going to move on because you've given, you know, the game has given me no reason to be confident that, you know, further attention to detail will illuminate anything. I don't know. I mean, Ben, you know, you've got, you've got a more stable gig. Uh, So, I mean, how does it, how does it work on your end? Oh gosh. I mean, I, I'm married and I have three kids. So everyone's like, well, how do you balance that with writing about (laughs) games? And I tell them I do it very, very poorly. This job will take absolutely every hour you're willing to give it. It is insatiable. Yeah. There is you have to be willing to to put down some kind of sane limits, and that's that's something I struggle with constantly. Gosh, if, if I had an answer, like I would love to be able to share it, but this is something that every day you just have to be very disciplined. You have to walk away being able to look yourself in the mirror and going, "I did a really, really good job today." And you have to walk away going, "You know, I also want to, you know." take my son out in the back and jump on the trampoline with him. And it feels like a lot of the days, those are two mutually exclusive things and they can't really be the older I get, the more I realize that if you don't jump on the trampoline with your son, you're not going to be able to bring anything to games, writing. Because, you know, I tell people that if you really want to be a games writer, you need to stop reading games, writing today. Just stop, cut yourself off, read anything else. And I'm scared of all these kids who grew up reading all the big blogs and they know what game writing sounds like and they want to do that. It's like the first thing I ever got published was a piece of poetry. And I'm, I, you know, I I thought I was going to be a poet for a number of years in high school. And I went to college as a, an impartial poetry scholarship. Um, Not that I'm writing like blank verse when it comes to game reviews, but I think understanding other forms of writing and understanding other art forms is absolutely critical to be able to look at video games in a way that matters so i think if all you're doing is playing video games and all you're doing is writing about video games your work is going to be bad um it it might look good on the page it might flow well but your work is going to be bad i think the more time you spend away from games and the more time you spend with your kids or your wife or girlfriend or going to museums or seeing movies or reading really good novels it might seem like you're blowing your you know, job off at that point, but you're doing anything else. The more mature you become in terms of dealing with all these different inputs and dealing with being more of an adult instead of someone who is focused solely on video games, you're going to have so much more perspective that it's going to have your writing take off like a rocket. And that's something that you have to keep telling yourself because you're always going to think you need to pour more hours in the game or do a fourth draft or of a review when the reality is doing all these other things away from the TV is going to make you a much, much better game reviewer. In my opinion, at least the assumption of course, being that, you know, in five or 10 years time, there'll be game sites that appreciate good writing and thoughtful writing. Yeah. Knock on wood. Right. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, definitely. But that's, that's a really good point. The, the, the same limits, but also balancing, this other stuff, you know, the, these other great things in your life, you know, balancing your personal life and finding other rewards. And it leads me to ask, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, questions I've had tonight have sort of centered on these, you know, really hardcore demands, like what, you know, what, what very serious devoted gamers, you know, expect from the, expect from their game reviewers. <laughs> And to an extent, I wonder, you know, and this this goes back to sort of what you were doing with the Alice Madness Returns review. To an to an extent, I mean, are you 
are you serving your readers a little bit better by taking that approach, by approaching you know the games that you're discussing critically, by approaching them more as someone who is just trying to balance gaming against other rewarding aspects of his life? Yeah, I mean that's it, it's a it's a big question, um, and again, I, I think it's something you need to take, you know, one game at a time. Um, there was. Guillermo del Toro, the director and author, was doing a really interesting um, speech. And he said something that, you know, really struck me. He said that he, he plays everything when it comes to video games. He plays a lot of the big games. But he, he said he's, he feels very strongly that if it doesn't in- engage him, then he leaves it. And he said he does not do homework with his life. And, and that struck such a deep chord in me. And it actually made me walk away from his book, The Strain, Rimshot. Um, but once it starts to feel like homework, you should walk <laughs> away. And I think, especially in um, a medium that's supposed to be fun and supposed to be engaging and supposed to make the hours drip away, when it does the exact opposite, uh, you need to be able to walk away and tell people why. I-, I can't see the case being when you start a meal and it tastes absolutely terrible, you have to like finish, you have to clean your plate to be able to tell someone not to eat there. You know, even if the pickle at the end of the terrible sandwich is really good, I don't think you've gained everything by, you know, finishing finishing the whole thing. And it's that kind of that raises the question is, you know, do reviewers look at games differently than other people? And that's something you have to balance, too. You know, once you start, once you stop walking into every game hoping to like it, you need to get out of game reviewing. It's like, I really yeah. want to give every game I play the benefit of the doubt. And I want yeah. to like it because I would much rather play games I like. I want to spend hours of my life that I will never get back and I'm going to die someday playing things I enjoy. Right. Okay, and it's, it's like, if you're an architect, you want to, you know, build something that's really great. It's like no one goes to architecture school to build outhouses, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well... You want to write interesting things about interesting games. That's yes. always the goal. I would much rather pick a, a good game up than put a really bad game down. And I say that in all honesty, and a lot of people think we become cynical. And I think that's something you have to fight tooth and nail every day to be effective. I mean, people always say oh, it's so much more fun to write a review of a bad game. But no, it really isn't. I mean, I would no. so much rather write you know, a review of a game that I love, of a game that really pushes me and does interesting and new things. I just love evangelizing for, especially if it's something that no one's heard of, but even if it's a great big franchise, something that just stands out. If I can push, you know, a Solium Infernum, or I can push, you know, a War in the East, or I can push, you know, even a Shogun 2, just, which is a huge, great, and masterfully beautiful game, despite, even with the huge budget. The ability to actually do that and sing its praises is, you know, yes, it may be, you know, easy, people say, oh, it's easy to say good things about good things, because the subject speaks for itself, but it's so much more joyful to, you and know, it's... embrace that, and so this is what the medium can do, this is, this is what it can show us, this is the power of it, there's so much crap out there that, okay, I can take a bunch of cheap shots at a crappy game, I never liked doing that, I'm, first, I'm not, all that f- I'm not a funny writer, so I don't like to throw in jokes in my writings. I'm not a funny writer, so I'm not going to be write- making a whole lot of f- funny jokes about a shit game. That's just not my writing style, so there's no fun for me. Um, I do, you know, like to say good things about good things, like being positive. 
And that's, I've always had more fun writing about, you know, games I love. And if you, they, you're right about the cynicism thing. It's really easy in this business with, because it, it is a business and it's not, I mean, I grew up in the 80s. There's still, you know, the auteur model of games. And I grew up with, you know, Will Wright and Sid Meier and Richard Garriott. And they're, pretty, you know, just guys doing stuff pretty much on their own, it seemed. Um that was this idea you had. Now we have these huge corporations with hundreds of layoffs, and everybody hates. We this week we hate EA, and next week is Activision, and week after that it's Zynga, and the week after that God knows who it is. It's this rotating hatred of people who make the stuff we love to do for fun. Um, and I like to get away from that. I like to celebrate the creativity, and I like to celebrate the energy. It's important to be positive as a reviewer. Not, I'm not saying like bad games. If it's a bad game, you call it. I'm not saying, you know, give developers a break because they're your friends, because you never do that. Um, they won't respect you if you do that. Um, general, I've never had a problem with, you know, I've seen a bad thing about a developer that I knew well. Just like their games, and they still invite me to their, their parties. Um, but few parties I ever get invited to. But <laughs> it's it's important, you know, to always walk in thinking this could be the next portal. you got to have that in your head as soon as you, once you press start. This could be the next portal. Now it won't be, almost certainly. Um, you know, probably won't even be the next rain conflict of nations. But it'll be something, and there's something worth saying about it. Um, it's important to say how and why. It's like people, when they go to a restaurant, saying, you know, every tip starts at 20% and it's theirs to lose. You go in expecting to, you know, go 100% and really like something, and it's, it's their goodwill to blow. Yeah, but here's another thing you said. You know, you can't give a, a developer who's a friend a good review. Have you ever gotten creeped out when someone thanked you for positive coverage? Yeah, where they're like, "Oh, thanks so much for this glowing review," and I'm like, "Dude, it's not. We're bros. You made a good game. Like that. That always kind of makes me feel like they think we're in collusion or something. I, it it really makes my skin crawl. Not that they're not trying to be nice. They they really are happy for the positive coverage. Okay. It's just. An odd yeah. part of the relationship. Generally, what I've gotten, but I actually don't, but I actually like and prefer when developers have contacted me about a review if they liked it. I liked what you said about a certain mechanic, and they're very specific about the reviews. Oh, thanks for the positive review. That's kind of useless to me. But you know, if it's, I liked what you said about uh, asymmetry and our use of asymmetry in this game. Here's where it came from. What we're trying to approach. Did you notice that? Yeah. That's the kind of feedback I like, because it means they actually read the review. I've had developers with games that I had problems with and criticisms of, and they've IM'd me and said, yeah, you're right, you know, we're gonna, all of your stuff is right, and your review is going to be one of the checklists we use to make sure all this stuff's fixed by the second patch. You know, these are the kinds of things that... These developer relationships are important. Um, I'm not going to lie and say I don't have developers who I consider, you know, I'm not going to say friends, but, you know, people who I... Who I, who I talk to, who will IM me, who will send me stuff, who will tell me things completely off the record. Uh, it's a lot of off the record stuff that, you know, I was not supposed to know. I'm still not supposed to know. Um, because we, because this ain't, this ain't the Pentagon Papers, guys. You know, we're not all out there investigative journalists cracking stories. Some of us just would like to know the stuff that goes on in the making of the games. Something weird is happening. We want to know why this mechanic works like this. Sometimes a little bit of inside gossip as to whose idea that was. 
Um, but yeah, I've never been creeped out by developer praise. I probably don't get that much of it, but I've been generally our exchanges are pretty fruitful. Yeah, I mean, I just I always I just have the problem. I, I don't I don't so much feel creeped out, except in the way that I always feel creeped out when an awkward situation arises, where I'm like, yeah, I'm glad <laughs> yeah. you appreciated that review. It wasn't really meant for you. It was. I mean, I'm I'm glad your game was good. You know, I mean, like that's that's yeah. great. You yeah. should you should be happy. But you don't owe me thanks for that. Like you 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 earned a good review. Your your game was good. Yeah. And I told readers yeah. about right. it. But I'm just the middleman here. Yeah. So I don't I don't deserve gratitude. <laughs> uh, but. Right. Uh, you know, if you want to say, you know, that it, you know, you feel proud having read it, fantastic. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, you know, you guys, you guys got a win. You chalk, you chalked up a win with this one. You know, take that home. That's fantastic. No, it's not. And a bad review is not. Doesn't mean I hate you. Absolutely. Well, we're almost at the end of another episode, and in a moment, I'm going to ask uh, Troy and Ben, uh, you know, what value they place on being experts within the genre of a game you're reviewing. Uh, but before we go, I must take a moment to thank Michael Hermes, our producer, for his uh, terrific work on tonight's show and fixing up our audio from last week's Frozen Synapse show. Um, it takes a special kind of producer to scrub out the sound of chainsaws, uh, you know, cutting through timber uh, 30 feet from a microphone. But uh, Michael's, <laughs> Michael's that kind of producer. Uh, I'm also really grateful to those of you who have uh, written or tweeted to let me know how much you've been, been enjoying the show lately. Uh, it's great to know you appreciate the conversations we have here every week and the insights our guests bring to each topic. And again, if you like what we're up to here, please remember to retweet and recommend our show. Uh, if you want to offer suggestions or have reactions to an episode as you're listening to it, uh, you know it's a good time to use the 3MA hashtag on Twitter. Uh, we do share it with Dutch people talking about something I don't understand. Uh, but eventually, if we just keep using that hashtag, we will discourage them and it will be, it will be all our own. Uh, and, of course, final thanks and questions uh, go to Ben Kacher and Troy for taking time from their Sunday night to uh, join us. Before we pack it in, uh, Ben and Troy, what, what value do you place on having expertise within, within a given genre that you're reviewing? Oh, gosh. Um, I think this is something – I don't think you have to have genre expertise in, expertise in anything – that you play or review. I think it can be helpful. I think it behooves you to play as many different games as possible to learn as much as you can about the art form of gaming. That being said, it could almost be, you can bring a really fresh outlook into something by not being familiar with the genre and just tell people up front, go, this is where I'm coming from. Um, I haven't played much, but this is what I got out of it. And sometimes that can be really refreshing. Um, in terms of reviewing something, I do think it's very helpful to know how a real-time strategy game works, to know a little bit of, you know, the lingo when it comes to MMOs. But I think that's something that you just kind of need to be caught up with in terms of kind of what's going on with the state of the art in gaming. And just by playing a little bit here and there, you can get caught up very, very quickly. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think everybody should play more games, uh, more types. I'm, I'm certainly broad, I'm not getting paid to play games anymore. I'm certainly uh, broadening uh, my experiences now. I've recently blogged that I'm picking up racing games because I'm surrounded by people I am so who proud like to of you. racing games. I know, you're a terrible influence. You and Tom and Jen are all killing me with your influence to play racing games. Um, uh, but, you know, there's a difference between you know, writing about a game and reviewing it. Um, I think, you know, if you don't play, 
if you've never played Europa Universalis, any of the games, I think your impressions on starting to play it, you know, cold, would be very helpful and very useful, I think, to developers. And how do you, how do you start, if you're interested in history, but you know nothing about these games, how do you approach these? I think that's great. As a review, could you do that? I'm not sure, because the people who are looking for a review of Europa Universalis 4 aren't going to want, you know, a noob reviewing it, because it's not going to tell them what they need to know. They don't need to know how hard it is for new people to pick up. They kind of expect that. They expect these games to be hard people to pick up. That's not news to them. They want to know about how the systems work, how it's different, uh, how if the AI's been fixed. These are the things that they want to learn. That's where the whole reviewer obligation to the readers comes in. You have to know which audience you're reviewing the game for. Um, I think some genres are just you know so mainstreamed now. I mean... You don't need an adventure game specialist because most adventure stuff is wrapped into shooters and RPGs at this point. Um, you don't. I mean, most games out there tend to follow a very specific template. I mean, I think anybody who has watched movies could uh, review Alien War or uh, Alan Wake or Alpha Protocol. Um, I don't think you really need to be a specialist for those. Um, I wouldn't want to review an open-world game unless I had played other open-world games. Um, this is my first open-world game. I shouldn't be reviewing it. I should have played other ones. I can compare it to other open-world games. Because the comparison is an important part. Even if it isn't explicit in the review, um, we have to know what is go- else is going on in the space. Um, so there should, there should be experience, not necessarily specialization, but I do think some genres require deeper specialists than others. Flight sims, I like to have somebody who knows something about flight sims, the three flight sims that are still made. If you're MMOs, I want somebody who's played a lot of MMOs, not just World of Warcraft. I want somebody who knows uh, Star Wars Galaxies, who knows the late, great Star Wars Galaxies, somebody who knows uh, at least some of the history of it, who's played some of the free-to-play stuff, somebody who embraces uh, the, the breadth of the genre and doesn't just, you know, uh, run around Azeroth if they're going to be reviewing it. Um, I think that that's the obligation to the reader. I definitely feel that, I definitely feel it's important to play broadly uh, because, you know, again, for the same reason you don't just want to read game, you know, game, game writing. Uh, you also don't want to just play games in your patch. Uh, if you're going to right. talk about, if you're going to talk about games in any sort of critical capacity, you've got to be aware of what's going on in genres that you don't consider your home turf. You've got to you've got to keep abreast of this. And who knows? Maybe you'll bring fresh eyes to something and discover something really awesome that experts have missed. That you know, that's great. Uh, but it's just it's it's good practice to play broadly. That said, personally, I mean, th- there are genres that I just I would hesitate. Uh, you know, discussing critically. I mean, I have passed on uh, you know RPG reviews because while I like the odd RPG. I mean, I'm a guy that has had serious <laughs> trouble dealing with like Fallout and games like that. Like, I'm just—it's just not my genre, and I don't really have. A, you know, I, I personally feel uncomfortable talking. You know, talking about the genre to people who who really appreciate it. Um, you know, I I would feel the same thing. I enjoy sports games a great deal, but I would hesitate. You know, the people who the people who want to read reviews of sports games, uh, you know, I kind of feel are looking for something perhaps a little more insightful, a little deeper than I could bring to the table having played, you know, 
you know, two or three Maddens in the last decade, you know, and gone back to NHL, uh, you know, the NHL series just this, you know, last year with NHL 11. You know, I, I just, I, I don't feel comfortable talking about those. Strategy games and racing games, hell yeah, I'll be there, you know, because, you know, what I guess the sweet spot I, I try to look for is I don't try to, I don't try to have something to say to the true connoisseurs. Like, you know, if you go to a Sim HQ, you know, you aren't going to tell those guys what they should think about Ill 2 or Cliffs of Dover. You know, they're playing, they're operating on a different level than you are. Yeah. Uh, I was on these, I was on the polycast a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, which is related to the Civ Fanatics forums. Um, I'm pretty sure that they don't need me to tell them anything about a Civ game in review. You know, they'll reach their own conclusions. They will probably be better informed. But I do, I, you know, the sweet spot I try to aim for is, you know, people who are interested in the genre, but without perhaps being total connoisseurs. But then I really want to be able to talk to genre novices who might just be flirting with the idea of getting into it. Because, I mean, one of the aspects of this job is to evangelize for the things you care about. You know, to to look after you know to look after the health of your favorite genres, and try to point people, you know, try to try to help people sort of cap you know capture the magic that you got you sucked into the hobby you know your first time. I can't you know I mean, I'd be thrilled if I could be you know if I could fill that role for someone else. Yeah, so I mean that's 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 where I come down on the on the expertise question. Uh, you know, it's just I, I want to be informed. Uh, if I'm going to, you know, speak with any sort of authority, I definitely want to be, you know, well above average uh, when it comes to my knowledge of the given genre. But I definitely don't feel—I I definitely don't feel like one, you know, one should really, one should really, you know, try too hard to become a complete expert in a uh, in a given niche. All right, well, um, that'll do it for our discussion tonight. Uh, Thanks, you guys, for a great conversation. It was, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. All right, say good night, everybody. Good night, all. Good night. Good night.